Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, today I'm talking to a very inspiring woman. Her name is Danea Horn, and she is the author of Chronic Resilience, 10 Sanity-Saving Strategies for Women Coping with the Stress of an Illness. And boy, can I relate, because I can feel it sometimes. I get really stressed out, and I carry it in my neck and the top of my shoulders. And I think I get like an inch shorter because I do like a turtle move. But uh, today, Danea Horn is going to be talking to us about her book and tell us a little bit about her background. So welcome to the show, Danea. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I have to say, when I got your book in the mail, I was like, wow, this is a nice cover. This is a cover. It was worthy of being on the shelves of Barnes & Noble and would be picked up. And I love the fact that you use such neon bright colors. So great cover job because if anybody has ever designed a cover, that is one of the most difficult things you have to do. Or <laughs> The writing's easy, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I was really impressed with what our publisher was able to come up with. And it was great to see it on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. We took pictures and Super exciting day. So tell us a little bit about your background of why you decided to write Chronic Resilience. Sure. So I was born with something called Bacterial Association. It's a constellation of birth disorders that affects a number of different systems in the body, everything from the spine and the digestive system to the limbs. And one of those systems is the kidneys. And I was born with just one kidney that had reflux. So I was, essentially that made me prone to getting kidney infections. And from when I was 16 to 19, I had a slew of them. Uh, it seemed like almost every other month I was getting a kidney infection. So finally, we were able to do a surgical correction on the uh, anomaly in my kidney, and I started taking some antibiotics, and we were able to halt the infection. But uh, the scarring that had occurred on my kidney uh, made me go into chronic kidney disease. So we've been monitoring that for a number of different years, so from all the health journey I've had, a lot of surgeries when I was little, in and out of the hospital, um, and then managing chronic kidney disease, I felt like there was a message in there somewhere. <laughs> I had been through a lot, and I really wanted to sit down and reflect on my experience. And it was interesting, right as I started writing the book is when my kidney disease started really progressing more quickly. And so I definitely, writing the book was an experience of processing my own healing, the next phase of my own healing journey. And so it's been a really sort of cathartic way to reflect and to even give myself a reminder of the tips and how to manage the stress that I'm going through right now with my own kidney health. Now, uh, how is your kidney health currently? Uh, so the day the book released, we found out that I was in kidney failure. Uh, what is your GFR now? So my GFR right now is 12. So we dropped below 15 a couple of weeks ago. And I had joined the transplant list two years ago. Um, so I had been banking time on the list, and we do have a living donor. Um, so we're just sort of waiting. I don't have a ton of uh, symptoms right just yet of renal failure. So we're kind of we're monitoring. Every other week I'm doing lab work, and we're making sure that we're on top of not letting this go too far before we get the transplant scheduled. So we're expecting that we'll probably have a surgery date here in the next three to four months. Well, it's always best to get a preemptive transplant. Um, I went back on dialysis after my third transplant 
um, I think I went on about a nine GFR. And the real thing that was was starting to get me was the blood pressure started to go up and the fluid started to retain. And, um, and then I really didn't know how bad I felt <laughs> um, because, you, you know, it's the chronicity of an illness. You kind of just gradually don't feel good. And then you wake up one day and like, wow, a couple of years ago, I did that. <laughs> how did I do that? So Exactly. It is interesting to, to wonder. I wonder what other people feel like, because just like you said, I can get through the day. You know, I feel pretty, pretty well, but I am my, we are having some blood pressure issues. I am starting to retain some fluid. And so, you know, you're just kind of watching your body and like, what can I handle and what can't I handle? Right. Well, it's great if, um, you know, the outcomes they always say are much better if you get a preemptive transplant and, uh, but at the same time, you, you know, it's that, it's that crazy line that you have to deal with because you don't want to be too sick to get the transplant. And at the same time, you don't want to go on dialysis if you you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. So actually, when we get off the phone, I'm going to go to the lab and do some lab work and see where we're at okay. today. Well, make sure you drink a lot of, well, not a lot of fluid, but enough because you know the trick. Your your GFR and creatinine are directly related to your hydration status. <laughs> exactly. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your book and how do you deal with the stress of an illness? You know, when I first found out that we were probably going to have to do a transplant, uh, you know, I thought probably what a lot of people think when they get a diagnosis, well, I'm just going to fix this. You know, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how to change my diet or to change my thoughts or to do something. You know, I, I want to try to get a handle on this. And it was really hard for me to accept that some things in life really are chronic and that this was going to be with me for the rest of my life. And when I was able to do that, I also saw that I had been placing my focus on all the things that weren't in my control. You know, am I going to have side effects from medications? What is the next lab test going to say? Um, what's going on in my kidney right now? And I found that that was really stressful. It put a lot of pressure on me uh, to figure out a solution for something that didn't have a solution. And I found that once I turned my focus towards all the things that are in my control, and my stress level went way down. So I made a plan, and I thought about, okay, what's the best diet for me to be on? And I need to make sure that I take my medications on time and that we find the right doctors that we feel comfortable with and trust. And I need a good support system around me, and I need to set up my home in a way that decreases my stress and all of these other things that I could do that really are helping my body handle these most recent changes in a way that I'm able to still make it through the day, and I'm still feeling pretty Good, so. Now, what is like, you know, it's interesting because when I'm going through a, a chronic issue or something that where my health is not 100% in control, I turn to my jewelry table. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons is, is because I can control where the beads or the buttons go. And I think when you're dealing with a chronic situation, you feel so out of control, you really have to figure out what areas you can control. And I know that my husband, another thing that I like to do is clean out closets. He just loves this. And I mean, it's a sense of control. And that's one of the ways that I know I deal with stress. And it sounds like, you know, you figure out what you can control and don't focus on the things that you can't control. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's really what the book is. It's 10 chapters of things that are in our control when we're coping with an illness. Um, so it was definitely something that I could go back to and say, okay, I'm feeling stressed right now. What's something that that is in my control that I can, 
adjust, you know. So I started redecorating my house to make it um, extra soothing. And just like you, you know, with the jewelry, I love to cook. And so I started inventing new recipes and getting really into my grocery shopping and meal planning for the week and all of those small things that lead up to really decreasing our stress and helping us feel like we are impacting our health, even if we can't change the final outcome. I know it is very frustrating. Now, you talked to several women who are battling different chronic illnesses. And I think what's interesting to, you know, many people listening is that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you have lupus or kidney disease or any type of arthritis, the emotions are still the same. It doesn't really matter. We all go through the same um, obstacles and emotional turmoil in our brain. Um, you know, I've had, you know, close to 50 surgeries and people are like, oh, you know, you're a pro at it. I'm like, no, I still get the same feelings you probably get with your first surgery. It's just, I have a little bit more memory recall on what might happen. And that's sometimes good and sometimes bad because I've had some bad experiences. So um, sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about what you learned from some of these women and some of the t- strategies they do. You know, the first thing that I learned from the woman is how important it is to share our stories, just like you and I are chatting right now, you know, to connect with other people that are going through what we're going through. Because when you're coping with an illness, it can feel very isolating. You know, we tend to think, oh, I'm the only person that's ever had these emotions or experienced this or wondered what the next step is. And so just to reach out and start sharing our stories. And just like you said, no matter if it's chronic kidney disease or cancer, MS, diabetes, We all have a very similar experience in terms of being able to accept the idea that something is chronic and then finding where our power is in that. Uh, The other thing that I really learned from these women is how important it is to speak up in the doctor's office that, you know, we are really the center of our care. And in today's sort of team care environment, there's so many different doctors that participate in our care that we really need to know what our medical history is. We need to know how to describe our symptoms in a way that different people can understand. And we need to, to understand where we're at in our care, what our different medications are for, because we might be explaining those things to different people. And so I just, talking to these women, it was such a good reminder of how important it is to speak up and to really participate in our care. And not to mention how much you wow the doctor when you come in with a half page, like I try to make it half page of bullet points, of things that I have gone through, especially for a new doctor, just like a little quick summary that you don't have to have every surgery detail, you know, your, um, your allergies, uh, your list of your other doctors and your medication. And it's amazing how much more attention and respect you get immediately when you, you hand that paperwork over. And, you know, because you're making them feel also that they can impact your care more because you're going to fully participate to uh, the hundredth percent. <laughs> um, and you're going to, you know, you're, you're also setting a, a message that, um, you know, I'm engaged and I want you to be just as engaged. And it's interesting. I had a doctor's appointment about three months ago with a new doctor as a urologist, because I've been having with, they think maybe my third kidney may be causing some um, UTIs, which is interesting. My fourth kidney is fine, but anyway, so I had to see a new urologist, and I went in with my little, you know, half page and my medication, 
Um, the only downside about that is that after the physician saw me, he's like, can you talk to four or five of my medical students? <laughs> and, you know, and so is there like an extra two hours educating his staff, um, you know, which is a real compliment because then you have the opportunity to really impact future healthcare leaders. And, you know, it was compliment that he's like, yeah, you need to let them know about your history. And, and, you know, cause I tell some certain stories where, uh, you know, I, the luck was with me when they, it really was thought not to be with me. Some of the mistakes have turned out to save my life. Um, so tell us a little bit about, about on the feedback that you've been receiving for the book. Um, I know it's been out for a little while and you have been doing radio shows and all kinds of things. So Tell us what that experience has been like. Uh, it's been just wonderful. It's just so touching to hear other people have this experience resonate with them. You know, we had a big launch party uh, where I live in Sacramento last night, and I was talking with uh, a woman who has had her kidney for 11 years, and just reading my story, she was saying, wow, I just felt like I was chatting with a girlfriend and somebody that really understood my whole experience and my history and everything I've gone through, I just, through the book, was able to feel so connected to somebody else and understood, even though our experiences weren't exactly the same, just to have that resource is really powerful to her. And I've gotten just some amazing tweets from people enjoying the book so far and people saying, oh, I'm nodding along as I'm reading. I agree with, you know, everything that has been said in the book. And then I've also heard, surprisingly, from a lot of people that actually don't have a chronic illness but have been finding a lot of value in the book in terms of helping them reprioritize their life and figure out what's important to them and deal with some of those small daily stressors that we all have. Yep. It's, um, you know, you can have difficulties at work. I mean, everybody goes through the same emotions when there's change in their life. And, you know, you may be changing a job. I mean, you may have um, your sons going off to college. And you got to deal. It's, it's all loss. And um, I read a book many years ago, How to Survive the Loss of a Love. This is maybe like 25 years ago. God, I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't be 20. I'm not that old. Um, but it, and it was basically when somebody lost a loved one that passed away and how to survive it. But I really read it as how to lose, you know, how to survive the loss of the kidneys I love that give me so much freedom and it can be applied to anything. And I went back and reread that book with, uh, you know, a pet passing away. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, that's got to be the worst. So Chronic Resilience is the name of the book, 10 Sanity Saving Strategies for Women Coping with the Stress of Illness. So maybe you can give us just a couple of tips what we'll find in the book. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Before I give you a couple of tips, I just wanted to mention what you were saying about Uh, loss and letting go, that's so important. And actually, that's one of the tips that I talk about in Chapter 10, is that a lot of times people say, oh, just just let things go, you know, when you're facing a change. Excuse me. And people don't realize that that the act of letting go is really a grieving process, that we need to grieve the loss of things that we used to be able to do that we can no longer do. I know in Chapter 10, I talk about grieving the loss of being able to carry a child through pregnancy, um, that that was a painful thing for me to let go of. But once I was able to grieve that and really feel those emotions, then I could open myself up to what that change was bringing. And we actually ended up finding a real deep passion for adoption that we're hoping to do uh, once we get the transplant done. Um, 
other things that you're going to find in the book or how to talk with your support givers. You know, everybody wants to offer support, and sometimes we don't know quite the right way to ask for exactly what we need so that our supporters can feel like they're contributing to our healing process and we can also get the support that's most needed in our lives. Um, the book also talks about how to talk to ourselves. You know, it's really important for us to be our own caregivers. I know we, when you don't feel well or we can't do as much as we used to, a lot of people tend to get hard on themselves. And instead, we need to um, approach ourselves with some compassion and understanding that, you know, dealing with a chronic illness is nothing to have any shame over. You know, in fact, I think that that we're all superheroes. The fact that we're getting through this day by day makes us absolute superheroes. And so just shifting our attitude to, to one of really being pri- proud of what we're able to do and how strong we are um, can have a huge impact on our stress level. No, I know. Um, Orison's last newsletter, uh, Live and Give, I wrote an article called The Committees in Session. <laughs> and, you know, really brought up about I have this like committee in my head and I can just be so um, hard on what I can and cannot do. And I am my own worst enemy at times. And I know that. And I think sometimes it plays a good role to kick me out of bed when I need to get out of bed. And then sometimes I'm, I'm like, Lori, why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> I mean, you know, so I, I, you know, like how to silence this committee that you know, rears its ugly head. And, um, it, you know, we all have a self-critic and, and, and in some ways that's good. That helps us improve ourselves, but it can run a little muck in our brain and cause us damage. Exactly. And, and it's important to know really what we value and what's important to us. So when those voices start in with, oh, you need to do this and get that done and that we can prioritize and, and actually start saying no to some things that aren't as important to us so that we can preserve our energy and preserve our health. I don't know if this helps you with stress, but one of the things that helps me manage stress is I create lists of things I have to do. And I do it for work and I do it for other things and I have like an Excel sheet. And that's one of the ways that I stop the committee because the committee like, well, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this. And I mean, if I just write it down, like all the doctor's appointments I need to make, cause it's like, I'm on a perpetual calendar of doctor's visits. I think I have like nine or 10 now. It's like insane. <laughs> it, it, it is, it's crazy. And you know, I'm healthy right now. And so, but I have to, you know, I have to go to the dentist every six months. I have to go to the dermatologist every year to go to the gynecologist, the nephrologist, the cardiologist, the urologist, the transplant doctor, um, you know, so all of these appointments, you know, merge and you have to make appointments. And, um, and I know if I don't, if I'm not proactive in my care, then I could have, uh, some, uh, some consequences of those actions. But yeah, I find just making a list of things I have to do for work or things I have to do for, you know, grocery listing, shopping, what I need. If I just write it down, I can let it go and then I can see it and do what I can. Exactly. Yeah. I, I actually talk about lists in chapter three and how important they are in the book, because I'm just like you, I'm a huge list person. Having all those things floating around in my mind is more stressful than anything. And if you can just (laughs) write it down on paper and see clearly, and then that also helps you to prioritize what's important and 
what you need to get done. And then, of course, there's nothing better than the stress-relieving feeling of crossing something off your list. Definitely. I mean, you feel like, oh, my goodness, I, I'm going to put as many little tasks down as I can because crossing them off are as much fun as uh, is putting them on sometimes. Like, yes, pet the dog. <laughs> oh, I finished that. I got that off my list. <laughs> that was pretty simple. Well, when I was um, reviewing your book, because I read it many, um, I think it was over a year ago before you were going to have it published. Um, one thing I really love about the style of your book is I refer to it, in, and this is what I did in my book, Chronically Happy, is it's bathroom reading. You can like open it up and read anywhere. You don't have to like read. I don't, I'm not always in the mood to read like uh, in chronological order, Stephen King style. But sometimes I'm like, you know, I want to learn about this topic. So um, tell me a little bit about, how, you know, you decided to do that format and have you had a lot of good feedback on that? I hate to say bathroom reading or doctor visit reading. I mean, you can put it in any terms, but you can pick it up and put it down easily. I, you know, I did that intentionally because anytime you face a change, there's so many things that we could focus on. And so when I introduce people on how to read the book, I say, you know, read everything or at least kind of skim through, but then pick the two or three chapters that really resonated with you and then think about how to apply those in your life. So just like the bathroom reading, you know, if you're feeling you wake up one morning and you're really just struggling to find and work with your supporters, you know, then you're going to want to pick up and read chapter six again. Uh, if one day you find that you're just not feeling super engaged and you want to be more present or you're dealing with a lot of worry, then you could jump into chapter eight and read about um, how to deal with worry and how to be more present. Um, so I did definitely set it up that way because when we have an illness, it can be so overwhelming. So I wanted to be able to allow people to chunk it down into what they were dealing with at the moment and what they needed to read most about. And how has your family responded to the release of your book? They are just so thrilled for me. It's really, really neat to get to celebrate this milestone with them. Um, they've embraced it. They're telling everybody they know about it. And, um, and they're definitely using it um, in terms of being able to even support and understand my journey more. I've had a lot of my friends and family say, wow, I really understand your perspective now and how, what you're going through and how to support you better. Um, so it's been a really amazing way for us to even communicate with each other about what it's like for me to cope with an illness. Now, on the front cover of the book, I, I found it very intriguing, and I have to ask, I wasn't going to, but it says, it's a, a recommendation, and it says, I highly recommend this groundbreaking book by Chris Carr, New York Times bestselling author of Crazy Sexy Diet. Now, I have not read that book, <laughs> um, so can you just, you know, what's that all about? <laughs> Did you know who Chris Carr is? I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, so Chris Carr has an amazing story. She was diagnosed more than 10 years ago with stage 4 cancer. She had uh, tumors in her liver and in her lungs. It was a very rare form of cancer. And she did a documentary for the Learning Channel following her sort of four-year journey uh, because the medical community didn't have any means to treat her cancer. It wasn't a cancer that was going to respond well to chemotherapy or any of the traditional treatments. So she decided to completely transform her life. So she revamped her diet. She uh, dealt with her stress level, and she's been able to keep her cancer stable for the last 10 years. Um, so now she has 
I've been sort of a media personality and has a website and it's been inspiring people to really look at their own lifestyles and make positive transformations for their health. Um, so I had written for Chris's website a little over two years ago. And so when we knew the book was coming out, just like I contacted you, I contacted Chris and sent her a book. Um, and Crazy Sexy Diet is really uh, an eye-opener about what food does in our bodies. Um, I definitely recommend it. It was one that I read when I learned that uh, my kidney disease is getting worse, and I felt like it's really supported my energy level and um, helping to slow the progression of my disease so that we are able to avoid dialysis and go straight to transplant. Well, I am definitely going to look for that because that's gonna, I'm going to download it on my Kindle when we get off this interview. Now, tell us about how we get your book. Uh, so you can get my book anywhere books are available. It's uh, up right now on Amazon and Barnes & Noble's websites. It's in the Barnes & Noble stores. Um, and you can order it from any of your favorite book retailers. And it, can you get it electronically as well? It is available um, in Nook and Kindle and iBook. Okay, that's great. I know that I've switched over to ebook reading because... Um, as much as I hate to admit it, I need the larger font. <laughs> and uh, I think I have a few cataracts brewing that, you know, aren't horrible, but the light needs to be perfect. And I can do that with ebook readers, which is, is great. And you can carry a bunch of books and a little notepad. Although I do love the feel and look of a book. It's just there's nothing prettier than a nice book and and holding somebody's thoughts and aspirations and dreams in your hand. I mean, that's just an incredible feeling. So, uh, Danea, I think it's great that you reached out to us and let us know about this great resource for people who have kidney disease, um, healthcare professionals, and the people that care for their loved ones. You know, please pick it up. You always learn some good advice on how to communicate better, how to, you know, we learn from each other. And when you get stuck, the worst thing to do is do nothing. Just take some sort of action and things will change. So uh, any closing statements, Danea, before we wrap up? Uh, I think that that's it. Just to understand that we're human. We're all on this journey together and any support we can provide each other is definitely positive. No, we have to stay in the present because, uh, I mean, I've said this saying before, so people have heard it in shows, but, you know, I, I, I liked to remember this because if we have one foot in yesterday and another foot in tomorrow. We're pissing on today. <laughs> and I mean, it's a great visual, isn't it? Um, but I try to remember that because I, I get caught up in like, what's my labs? What's this? What's going to happen? What's the results? And then I'm really not enjoying the present, which there's that saying, the present is called the present because that's a gift. And we have to remember that, that, you know, today is a gift and take that to heart. So <laughs> anyways, well, thank you so much, Danae. And I look forward to meeting you and hearing about your upcoming transplant. Thanks, Lori. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.